Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, this is Chris Safarova. Welcome to another episode of the Strategy Skills Podcast. Before we start today's interview, I have a gift for you. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies, free download, go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. And today we have with us Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce and the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of Growth IQ and the experience mindset. Welcome, Tiffany. So great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm thrilled to be here. Tiffany, so maybe we could start with a little bit of a backstory to set a context. Maybe you could say a little bit about your earlier career and how you ended up being so interested in customer experience and then also in employee experience. Sure. Uh, well, I've been in and around technology now for almost 30 years. Uh, I began my sort of career in tech as a sales rep, individual quota carrying sales rep. And I moved up the ranks, uh, finally running a division of, of a company uh, from a sales perspective. And then I took on marketing and customer service, customer success. And that gave me sort of my first view into the power of connecting sales, marketing and customer service, not only to drive growth, but more importantly, to have greater alignment internally so that customers had a better experience. And then I spent a decade at the Gartner Group. Uh, I was a research fellow covering sales transformation and go-to-market models uh, for you know startups all the way to Fortune 1 companies uh, and some of the largest technology companies in the world. And that gave me a front row seat on having 400, 500 conversation with com you know, different companies around the world every year uh, allowed me to sort of pick up on these trends and signals and uh, challenges that companies were facing as it came to growth. Uh, and then I joined Salesforce about seven and a half years ago as the customer innovation uh, and growth evangelist. And that has given me a very different front row seat um, cross industry, not just technology, and really looking um, as technology as the enabler to improve not only customer experience, but more importantly, uh, what employees have to do in order to serve those customers. And so it's been an amazing journey, I guess, over the last 30 years, touching all, all aspects of growth across an organization. And uh, the Experience Mindset, my uh, most recent book, um, has done really well in the first couple of months, but the feedback I've gotten has just been overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive, which is always good when you write a book. Definitely. And then your first book, Growth IQ, I know that when you wrote it, that led you to write the second book. Maybe you could share a little bit of a story on what actually happened that you realized, you know what, I need to write the experience mindset. Well, I, uh, as I started out with the, the first question, you know, I'm a sales marketer and customer service executive at heart. Like I'm not an academic. While I worked at Gartner for a decade, I really had to learn how to 
use the written word for research and sharing information and trends and disruptions and ways to get executives to be interested maybe in different points of view. And I never thought I would write a book, but uh, at the end of that decade, uh, when I first joined Salesforce, I felt like of the four or 5,000 conversations I'd had with customers over that time of being an analyst, and then obviously my practicing days of, of being an executive, I felt like there was some commonality in the way organizations grew. And, and that really led me to the 10 paths to growth, which was covered in Growth IQ. Now, mind you, if you've read it or you haven't read it and you want to read it, it isn't anything that's earth shatteringly new, if you will. But what I did was I, I took tried and true and tested growth strategies and I modernized them with social, mobile, cloud, big data, AI, you know, all the things we now have at our fingertips that many of those growth strategies did not have when um, those strategic initiatives were sort of developed in the 1950s, 60s, 1970s um, from some of the you know, leading management thinkers. So it was a way for me to modernize with what we're capable of today, but in full transparency, I missed employee experience completely in Growth IQ. I touched on it quickly in the customer experience chapter, but in reality, I didn't give it its due. So in some ways, this is the 11th path to growth experience mindset. And the two and a half years of research that I did on that and the hundreds and hundreds of conversations I had with executives uh, led me to say, uh-oh, I have to write another book. So that that's kind of how the second book came about with no intention. And then after the, um, after the uh, first 10 paths, I realized I had missed it. I, I really needed to go back and, and make that. Uh, make that right. And and the second book was born. Tiffany, and of course, you weren't the only one who missed this point. We definitely don't focus on it enough. And so many people go through very unhappy career experiences that damage their health. They lose their family. A lot of things went wrong for too many people, too many hardworking, driven, good people, because companies were not focusing on what you wrote this book about. Yeah, I, I, and I would say that I am not a people and culture expert. So it was not a topic I was, it was a blind spot for me, really. You know, sales, marketing, and customer service. Well, obviously, as an executive, I led people. Um, and as an advisor and consultant, um, you know, I was working with companies on on how to do things uh, more efficiently and, and in, in allowing people to be more productive in what they were doing. But I never double clicked on that or honed in on the power of employee experience. So I would say that I, I really stumbled upon it. I had made a comment um, one day while I was on stage and I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence that Salesforce is a great place to work globally. Uh, it's one of the most innovative companies in the world and it's the fastest growing enterprise software company in the world. That if we had a really strong culture, i.e. great place to work, is that why we innovate more quickly? Is that why we are more resilient. Is that why we're more responsive? Is that why we can um, really um, move and respond to changing needs of customers uh, and the market? And do those two things together create the fastest growing enterprise software company? So I went out to prove if that was true. And as you said, look, I'm not the first person to say it. Happy employee means a happier customer. You get those two things right. You get greater growth rates. But I wasn't able to show and find any place where there was 
empirical research that could show causation or direct correlation between what attributes and aspects of an employee experience has the greatest positive and or negative impact on customer experience. And that's what I really focused on. And the findings were startling, um, surprising, inspiring, um, and concerning kind of all at the same time. Um, but once we uncovered that, then I really realized it, it absolutely is warranted um, for me to get this, you know, on paper and, and put it in a book and and really start to share the findings and have conversations because, as I said, the the early response has been kind of threefold. One, if it's so obvious, why isn't everyone doing it? The second thing I'd hear is, okay, well, who owns it? This initiative, this effort of connecting employee and customer experience. And then third is what's the return on that investment? Those are the right questions, but I was surprised that pretty consistently, those were the three questions I'd get when I'd start sharing the research. Tiffany, and when you wrote this book or in the process of writing this book and doing the research and so on, how was it received within your organization? That's a great question, uh, Chris, because I'll, I'll say this, look, even being a great place to work and one of the most innovative companies in the world and the fastest growing enterprise software company, I mean, really at the end of the day, that hyper growth sometimes can be the worst teacher, right? Because you have success. Maybe you go, look, it's working, right? We are a great place to work. We're really innovative um, and we're the fastest growing enterprise software company. But about about a year ago, um, right before uh, I started uh, really writing the book, we we stood up our very first employee experience team, tucked inside our human resource, you know, our people organization, really to focus in on the experience of the employee, starting with the onboarding of new hires. And that just shows you like, 22 years after its inception, Salesforce being as successful as it's been, we didn't have an employee experience team. So this is not a common practice. It's not a common operating philosophy, and it's not well understood. So we have really taken advantage of the findings to improve not only what we do for customers, but what we do for our own employees. Was there some pushback to implement this within the organization, or was it overall met with open arms? Well, I, I'd say this. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, right? Because I, I'm not in the people organization. I don't know what the internal conversations were kind of behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But I would say that culture is such a massive part of who we are. Um, and it's something we, we pride ourselves on. And from our CEO, Mark Benioff, all the way throughout the organization, it's something that we always make sure we're paying attention to. So I think at its first blush, right, you'd go, well, of course, like if there's opportunity for us to continue to improve, let's do it. How you do that with 55,000 employees, how you do that at the tail end of a pandemic, how you do that while simultaneously we're having to go through doing layoffs, like that's a lot of complexity to the intention of creating a better environment for our employees. So I, I don't know if I would say there was pushback. I think it was more of a, you know, how do we do this? Where do we do this? Where will it have the most impact? And, you know, surveying our employees was the first place to start, right? Where is there opportunity for us to improve? And that has continued over the last year and, and, and it will continue uh, in perpetuity, right? Because we always need to make sure that uh, we are looking for areas uh, to make better. 
Tiffany, and when you surveyed your employees, what were some findings that you found surprising? Well, when we did the global study, so this is not a Salesforce comment, but when we did the global study, we did it across the globe. Um, we interviewed uh, a little more than, than uh, 600 executives and employees, and then we did um, primary survey of individual conversations. Then I probably had um, about 250 executive conversations over the course of about six months. And, and I'd say this, is that um, it was, nobody owns it, but does that matter, right? I don't, this is, this is executive saying this to me, right? I hear you and intuitively I understand it. Um, but, you know, what, what is it that I would have to stop investing in if I need to reallocate money and talent and resources and budget, et cetera, to this new initiative? And that's where the experience mindset really came to life because I had to get out of the mentality that it needed to be a new role or a new group or a new division, very similar to what you just asked, right? What has Salesforce done? It wasn't a new division. It was a new group. It tucked into our human resource organization, but it is cross-functional at its nature, meaning it's just the connection point to go into IT, to go into HR, to go into learning and development, to go into our sales organization, our marketing organization, our customer success organization, right? To go into our equality um, uh, groups, right? It was really a place, the center of the nucleus to have the conversation and to survey. And so I will tell you that initially the surveys came back with broken processes, outdated technology, lack of career development, and sort of, you know, how I can and grow within my own organization. Um, is the company listening to my feedback? Is there alignment across the organization that even though the executives sort of know what's happening at the company, does everybody realize and understand how their role plays a part in achieving those goals. And so it was, it may sound painfully fundamental, but as you grow larger, even if you know you have five employees or 50 employees or 500 or 5,000, each time, right, there's more people, the complexity naturally shows up. And the more people, then the more groups, the more groups, the more silos, the more silos, the more disconnection the more disconnection, the more people are making decisions in their own silo. And all of a sudden you're left with this spider web, if you will, of, of disconnection. And I'll just double click on technology just for a second. 52% of the C-suite believe that the technology they're using is working effectively, which means 48% don't believe it's working effectively. Now only 32% of employees, general employee base, believe that the technology they're using is working effectively. So already there was a 20% gap deficit difference between what the C-suite thought and the general employee population. When you got to customer facing employees, it was only 20% of customer facing employees agreed the technology they were using allowed them to collaborate easily and be more productive. So if you just sat there for a second, like that is a massive disconnect between what the executives think is happening, what the general employee population think is, thinks is happening, and then what your customer-facing employees think is happening. And if you're any company, you do two things. You make stuff, you sell stuff. If you can't sell stuff, 
market stuff, service stuff, repair stuff, communicate about stuff, you know, and it's very disjointed. You won't have a company for very long. Tiffany, and do you think that one of the key reasons for this huge disconnect is because the middle managers are not doing the job correctly or we're not doing the job correctly of getting the information from the front line and bringing it to the top of the organization? I would say that I think the middle managers are the most important leaders in the organization. And why I say that is because the C-suite has a strategy, puts it on a PowerPoint, shares it with the board, you know, maybe gives a all hands call once a quarter or once a year or twice a year, right? And it's the middle managers that have to take that information, translate it, and then go deliver it to the individual contributors. And then when the individual contributors, there's a challenge, an issue, a suggestion, right? They get it from the individual contributors and then they have to translate it and report it to the C-suite. And so they're caught between, right? The executives and the individual contributors and they have to translate up and down the organization, right? That's sort of one issue. The second issue is, how often does the C-suite, right, really senior leaders in the company actually use the technology that the individual contributor uses day in and day out? Like, have they logged into the call center agent's service, you know, ticketing system? Have they tried to do a return in a call center? Have they tried to take a lead that came off the website and qualify that lead and then send it off to sales and then answer an RFP and then go through the pricing process and then create the quote and then place an order and then follow up on it. Have they actually done those things that individual contributors have to do every day, all day? Or do they get a dashboard, right? And do they get a presentation and does somebody, you know, distill it into one slide so they can see the health of the business but they're not actually using that technology that they spent in some cases millions of dollars on you know for their employees right to to run the business so i don't know necessarily if that is mid mid management's fault right because mid managers can go to their leaders and it may be let's just call it right you have a director who goes to a vp a vice president who goes to let's just say a senior vice president who goes to the you know chief operating officer okay that middle manager has gone to the vp that was translated. Then the VP translates to the senior vice president. Okay. Then it translates again. Then the senior vice president translates to the chief operating officer who then translates to the chief inf- or chief executive officer, right? How many times do you think that story got changed? Do you think it was impactful and passionate and insightful and detailed as the frontline manager by the time it got to the CEO or was it really watered down? You know, at that point, um, I would push back on anyone that thinks that the reason this may be happening is because middle managers are failing in some way. They do have a very tough job. And you are very right that there are so many layers often, even if they pass the information correctly and they do their best to get the information, it may not get to the top. And people at the top may not even want to listen to it because they're busy with their own things they're focusing on. And if it is not a high priority, the experience of employees, then it is not a high priority. So how can this be done better? Yeah, that's a great question because I'd I'd say this, you know, when I meet with executives, I ask the following questions, you know, over the last probably almost three decades, we've spent so much money 
reducing the effort for customers in order to improve the experience they have with their company. So early in the web, you know, it used to be 10 clicks to buy something. Now it's really, a, you could do it in a voice command or a single click. You used to be able, you used to have to walk into a retail establishment and then there was um, catalogs, right? And then those catalogs sort of shifted online and now we can do it in mobile. We could do it on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, WhatsApp. There are so many ways to buy because we've tried to make it easier and easier and easier for customers, right? Reduce their effort in order to enhance and increase the experience they have with us. However, and unfortunately, the unintended consequence of a lot of that effort has led to the fact that the employee effort has gone up and their experience has gone down. So when I start, I meet with a company and executives for the first time, I actually start to ask questions. Please tell me your top KPIs or key performance indicators that you use to track customer experience. How have they been? How is it going? Where are you focused? And is your customer experience scores on things like net promoter score or NPS or customer satisfaction, CSAT scores, are they tied to your compensation? They usually will know the answers to those questions. Then I literally say, okay, the other side of that coin is tell me the same thing for employee experience. And they will sometimes say, I don't know, I'll have to ask my chief human resource officer, I'll have to ask HR, or let me look it up. And, and I'll say, okay, and how many do you have? And they may have things like, I tra we track attrition. We might track our glass door rating, right? We're a great place to work in the US anyway, and there's, uh, there's others globally. I, I, you know, I might track uh, you know, how many open jobs do we have at the moment, and maybe even how many people are in the pipeline for us to hire. But then when you start talking about things like employee satisfaction or employee experience or employee engagement, or, you know, what is the percentage of employees that actually answer surveys or have taken advantage of training, you know, those kinds of things, right, which are very employee oriented, I get much less insight. I get much less clarity on what's happening there. And that gives me a great indication of the fact that it's been over pivoted to customer experience, which is what the research really proved that there is, it is almost impossible to continue to improve customer experience unless your employees are happy. The fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their job. And so if you don't know if, and you know, some leaders don't like that quote unquote, love their job. Like, what does that mean? What's the metric? How do I measure it? Like, you know, give me a little bit of leeway and grace on this, but it's, are they satisfied? Are they willing to absorb all the things you're throwing at you? You know, are they going the extra mile or are they quiet quitting? Or have you had a lot of your top talent leave and resign, right? And, and leave the organization altogether because you weren't paying attention. So there is, there is great insights in the research, but more importantly, those companies that get it right, connecting employee and customer experience better, see a 1.8 times faster growth rate than those companies that do not. So for a billion dollar brand, it's about a $40 million impact. Tiffany, another question I have for you, when you were doing this in-depth research, were some common wrong assumptions you noticed leaders were making that research then proved were wrong assumptions? 
sure. I, I'd say at its highest level, just because a company is growing does not mean their employees are happy. I think that's one that they go, well, we're growing and we're hyper growing, right? We're in hyper growth mode. Like, isn't this fantastic? Everyone should be really happy and proud. Well, you know, depends. Like, do all the employees get bonuses? You know, do they get to share in that success? Or does just the executive team share in that success? Like, growth does not mean your employees are happy. And, you know, in the U.S. specifically, you could just look at some of the largest companies in the world um, that we have here that are very, very customer-centric, right? One is a very e large e-commerce provider and one is a coffee company. So you could say, look at Starbucks. You know, you may say, growing, customers are happy. Are the employees happy? They're not happy everywhere. They're, they're definitely not happy right now in the U.S. You could say the th same thing for the large retailer, right? The most customer um, obsessed company on the planet. Were they growing a lot? Absolutely. Their mantra was be customer obsessed. Are their employees happy? You could argue in the US, right? They're trying to unionize. So just because you have hyper growth and you're growing and your customers are happy does not mean your employees are happy. I think that's something that really bore itself out. And I, and I think might be counterintuitive to some, they may just think because we're growing, everybody's happy. Um, and, and that wasn't the case. Any other assumptions that come to mind? I just think it will be very helpful for our listeners to know what you guys discovered. Yeah, I'd say the other one is that if someone doesn't have to own this, like someone in uh, the executive team, meaning I'm not advocating for a new role at the senior level, that's why I called it the experience mindset. Everybody needs to shift their mindset and their operating philosophy to the following. If you make a decision for your customers at your company to change a, you know, a tool, a software, a website, a product, whatever it might be, please take a moment and pause and understand what the intended or unintended consequences are for the employee. Does it make more effort or less effort for them? Does it increase or decrease the their satisfaction? Do they have what they need to actually deliver on what you've just promised to customers? And so I think people initially try and solve it with an expert's mind. And what I mean by that is, oh, I need a leader. I need a siloed group. I need metrics. I need KPIs. Like I'm going to stand this up, you know, and then that will give me oversight and management of it. But this is really that assumption that you have to have it permeate all aspects of your entire organization. The people that develop and design your products, your packaging, your FAQs, the directions inside your products, the field service people, the call center people, your receptionist at your office. Is your office clean? Is I mean, everything touches each of those parts of the business, both customer and employee experience. So I think the assumption that having someone own it is going to shine more light on it and potentially solve these disconnections, right? Or these gaps between what the C-suite thinks and employees. So that's probably another big one that you need to have a group in order to get to the bottom of this. And in reality, it, it is really a matter of, um, you know, having this be a more comprehensive uh, mindset. Thank you, Tiffany. This is very helpful. So maybe now we can speak about some companies that are doing 
well on both employee experience and customer experience. I get asked this all the time, really to try to get me focused on on trying to say a company name. And here's where I like doing that and don't like doing that. I I tried to, in both Growth IQ and Experience Mindset, pick a moment in time that I could deep dive into a company and say, this is when they really understood the connection between employee and customer experience. Or this is where they really understood that they were doing really well on customer, but not so great on employee, and this is what they did. Or vice versa, right? Really good on employee, not so great on customer, and this is what they did. And that moment of time allows me to then tell the story of, like what you asked me about Salesforce, right? What was the situation? What did they do? How is it, you know, how has it improved things, you know, et cetera, right? That, then that doesn't mean that because in that moment of time it was fixed, that I can say a year later, they're still doing it, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. things change. But I did give examples in the book. Um, I, I used Zurich Insurance. I used Airbnb. Uh, I used uh, Salesforce. Um, I used Best Buy in the U.S. I gave examples on Lamborghini, um, uh, uh, Marriott Hotels. You know, I tried to touch different industries, you know, from banking to hospitality and transportation. And, and I want to say that this is something that small organizations, small and medium businesses actually have a better opportunity of being successful in achieving it. Because at the end of the day, there's less complexity, there's less silos, there's less disconnection, there's more collaboration, hopefully, um, the smaller the teams. And so you can create really good habits when you're smaller so that when you start to grow, that you, you have that kind of discipline of we're changing something on customer, what's the impact to employee? We're changing something on employee, what's the impact to customer? And I think that you know that's really... Um, great for uh, companies to keep in mind that this isn't a, you do it once, you might fix it, things are going great, and you forget about it. You very quickly will find yourself, you know, in a situation where lo and behold, you know, a year after things were going great, um, you know, things aren't going great. (laughs) So this is a consistent change in behavior um, and change in mindset and then absolutely making sure that you um, set yourself up for success in, over the long term. Yeah, so right. And of course, companies are changing all the time. It's very hard to give one example because they can change and no longer be a good example. The intention there was for people listening now to have a few companies they can start paying more attention to if they want to work on this issue of employees not having a very good experience. So basically, what are some role models they can emulate, even though they are not perfect and they may change? Yeah. And I'd say, listen, you know, a great way to find that out, depending on where you are in the world, right, is we literally um, went to publicly available information in the first study we did. It was US only. We did it with Forbes Insight, part of Forbes. Uh, and we just looked at, okay, what are their net promoter scores? What are their employee net promoter scores? If we could get it, what are their glass door ratings? What are their customer satisfaction scores? 
What are their employee attrition rates? What are their customer attrition rates? Right. You know, we just went and found publicly available information and we plotted it on a two by two to see who was doing really well in EX and CX and who might be doing well on E and not C and vice versa. Right. And so we could plot that. So if you're listening to this and you want to know the answer to that, even in your own industry, go find what you can find if they're publicly uh, traded, right? Or if it's publicly available and start plotting it out and then look at, and, and ask yourself, what was your last best customer experience at some company, B2B, B2C, direct to consumer, retailer, coffee place, doesn't matter. And why was it so good? And you may say, well, the person behind the counter went the extra mile for me, right? Or fixed an order. Well, that wasn't the company, right? That was the person. And so then you start to see how that employee action plays such a huge part in what you experience as a customer. And if you start looking at it with that lens, you may find, wow, not only do I love this place, right, as a customer of this, my local coffee shop, but everyone who works there loves working there. And, you know, my, you know, my neighbor or my daughter or my son has been trying to get a job there and they just, you know, they just don't have any jobs. No one leaves. It's such a great place to work. What does that tell you? Why is it so good? We could find examples all over the place. You just have to be looking. Tiffany, and what do you feel is needed to sustain the balance between the employee experience and customer experience? Well, it'll never be 50-50. It will never be 50-50. I mean, if your goal is 50-50, it, 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 that is an unrealistic goal. I mean, what we have to do is um, make sure that we just take that pause and, and ask the question when we make changes on either customer, for customer or for employee. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in, in that situation, right? So, so I'd say, you know, that's, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and, and also, you know, making sure that when you go down this path, that you take everyone along on the journey with you. You had asked, like, what did we do initially? We surveyed Salesforce employees. We started asking very different questions on our, uh, we call them pulse surveys. So it might be every couple of weeks to certain groups in the company, you know, five short questions and move on. Not a, you know, long 15 minute survey that maybe used to happen only once a year. So if you're willing to ask those questions as leaders, you have to be open and interested to hear uh, what the answers are, and then you have to be willing to action them. So I think something that is, um, you know, really, really important is you have to be willing to get a little uncomfortable, you know, do things that maybe you're not sure what to do or how to do, and, uh, you know, ensuring that you're communicating, almost over-communicating so people understand why you're doing things and why you're doing it a certain way. It, it's really important to keep those lines of communication open. Tiffany, and for a leader listening now to our conversation and thinking, this is important, I need to focus on employee experience. I actually was not given it sufficient attention. So you mentioned employee surveys. Are there other things that you feel are very important for them to consider implementing and integrating? Absolutely. Actually, as leaders getting out of your office and walking around and talking to people. Now, if you are working remotely, walking around and talking to people may be literally sitting up, setting up a 15-minute Zoom call with somebody in the organization who, by the way, doesn't report to you and may be extremely down 
you know, below you, right? If you're a CEO of a thousand person company, I want you to ask the call center rep, is there anything, you know, they could be doing, um, to make it, to make it that you could be doing to make it better for them in order to serve the customers that, you know, really being willing to get out there and ask those questions to people because your frontline employees have the answers to these questions. We just have to make sure um, that you're asking, you're listening, you're capturing uh, that information, and then you're reporting back um, to your employees on what you know you're willing to do. And and that goes a long way in creating trust and transparency with employees and leaders. They feel like, wow, you know, they cared enough to ask me. I told them this was really a broken process. They took that information back. And two days later, I got an email from them. They told me they fixed that broken process. Like how powerful is that? Right. So I'd say, you know, that isn't always scalable meeting one-on-one, but if you said, you know what, what's more important, I'm going to carve as a leader an hour every single day. And I'm going to talk to four people, 15 minutes each. And I'm going to do my warehouse Someone, you know, in the call center, one of my sales reps, someone in finance, someone in product development, like, you know, all parts of the organization. Um, and you will be greatly surprised at the information going back to our story about how the, how the information changes as it goes up the food chain, right? And it gets to the C-suite and the C-suite will say, why wasn't anyone telling me that it was so broken in this part of the business? And then the people are going, I've been telling my managers. And then the manager's going, I've been telling my manager. And then that manager says, I've been telling my manager and somewhere it stopped being told, right? And so this is a way to to stay connected to that. Tiffany, and of course, when employees are filling in those employee surveys, they often have a concern that if they complain about something, they can get punished for it. So what are some best practices to manage this? And you are absolutely correct. That's why I just gave you that example I did, right? Ultimately, if you are an executive and you show up and you ask them and they tell you something, like something's broken, that's where you have to be very careful and say thank you and then go find out if it's really broken. And if it's really broken, find the person who can fix it and then get it fixed and then go back to that person and say, I want to thank you for telling me that that was broken because because of you being you know uh, uh, confident enough and 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 having that psychological safety right for me for you to tell me and trust me with that information we fixed it for everybody else and then on the next all hands call the executive can say hey you know we want to call out and thank Chris right she had this great idea of this broken process we got it fixed let's everyone give Chris a hand right woo clap clap clap. Now, all of a sudden, more people will be willing to come forward, right? And tell whatever that story may be. Um, so, you know, ultimately, that's how you can build trust and transparency. And if you don't have that ability right now, and your people are afraid to actually tell you what's going on in the business, then you have a culture problem. This is such a great example that you shared. So, my last question for today is. A little bit different from what we discussed today and this is my favorite question to ask of the last two three or maybe even last few years what were two three aha moments realizations that really changed the way you look at life or the way you look at business but it really changed something in a fundamental way for you well i'd say i, I 
I would think lots of people might agree with what I'm about to say, right? I, I think the pandemic um, was highly disruptive to the way I would work, um, the way I would collaborate, the way I would communicate, the way I did my job, um, you know, all kinds of things. And, and also it shined a light on a lot of things that I, I, I quite honestly wasn't paying attention to. So I think that there's, um, in all the devastation and um, horrible things that happened because of it, we've also come out the other side being more aware of things. Now it's our opportunity to actually act on that. So I would say that that was one for me, especially you know most recently, right? And and I and I'd have to say that that's probably um, you know a, a a pretty common statement with with lots of people. Um, but but that one for me is probably the most recent. This is a great place to end the session. Before we do that, Tiffany, do you have anything else you want to add? Maybe something you wanted me to ask you and I didn't? No, this was fantastic. I appreciate all the great questions. Hopefully it was um, you know, informative and maybe a different perspective for your listeners. And listen, if people walk, uh, you know, walk away from listening to this and just the next time something comes up around customer that they, they find themselves stopping for a second, and asking a question about employee, then I was successful. And where can listeners find your book and just learn more about you and your work? Yeah, it, I'd say, you know, you can pick it up online. There's the Kindle version, uh, there's an Audible version, um, and then there's a hardcover. Uh, it's now uh, in the middle of getting translated into a couple of languages. Uh, Growth IQ is translated in 11, so I'm hoping that Experience Mindset will get the same kind of, of response as well. Um, so, you know, uh, that that's a great way to to get a hold of the book. I'm really active on social media on on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So, you know, if you are on LinkedIn, I, I have no more connections, but you can follow me. So, you know, let's uh, uh, let's keep in touch that way. And then I've got a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova that has great conversations with with people I meet along the way. Tiffany, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and I really appreciate you shining light on this issue. So I want to thank you to paying attention to this topic, dedicating so much of your time to write an entire book on this topic, because I think that there are a lot of people that need companies to start noticing that employees are a huge asset for the organization and they should have opportunities to be happy. That work doesn't have to be an experience where they're suffering and then they leave so that they just go to work to make some money so they can buy food and pay rent. We spend so much of our time at work and it needs to be an enjoyable experience. And also as humans, we cannot really do our best work if we are in an environment where we don't feel that we are appreciated and there are opportunities for us to grow and so on. So I want to thank you for paying attention to this very important topic and giving it so much of your time and just raising the awareness about this topic. Well, thank you for having me. Fantastic. So for everyone listening, again, our guests today have been Tiffany Bova. Check out Tiffany's book, The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. And if you want to strengthen your strategy skills, get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies, free download. Go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. Take care, and I look forward to connect with you in the next session.
And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.